0: hello and welcome to subspace radio it's me kev and me rob and we are here for a very special event rob it is the first ever musical episode of star trek
1: yes kevin we have reached an episode we've been waiting for some time and
0: i cannot wait to break it down and see what (laughs) else we want to talk about
1: dear listeners we will not be singing the entire episode oh sadly 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 yeah 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 drop that little nugget that little hint of our musical talent possibly we may do a musical episode of subspace radio down the track
0: we almost should though rob just because this episode title is so much like our own title it's subspace radio talks subspace rhapsody
1: Look, it, it's almost eating in on itself like a a, a robberus. Yes, <laughs> the episode that everyone's been talking about is finally here. And, oh, you knew it was going to cause some dissension in the ranks. And it has exploded just as they knew it would.
0: Oh, no, Rob. Where do you hang out that all of these angry Star Trek fans
1: hang out? <laughs> Online, Kevin. And mm. I, sh- mm. I know I
0: should stop doing it. But that was it- your first mistake
1: yeah a rookie mistake so it's always good for me to get an idea of yeah just a sense of it there's been a lot of positives and there's been some negatives some people have been like going for deep cannon cuts and whether they were breaking cannon or not which they clearly didn't and i thought they were tantalizing little treats which i was really excited to hear but yeah, yeah and just general opinions on the whole concept of a musical episode we talk about it with strange new world so much about it's like ticking off the checklist of the go-to genre episode so we've had the body swap we've had the amnesia episode we've had the crossover episode and it's only a new phenomenon like since the early noughties really but the musical episode has become the new go-to gimmick. So it was used in Buffy. It was used in The Flash. It was used in Riverdale. It's been used in... The Magicians. uh, Yes. Multiple genre shows have done a musical episode. So this is just adding to that list.
0: The Buffy musical was explicitly referenced in this episode for anyone paying attention. The joke about turning into bunnies was could be nothing other than a winking acknowledgement. To Anya, Anya's lovely song, Bunnies, bunnies, it must be
1: bunnies.
0: Yeah. I went into this with very high expectations, Rob. I think I talked a couple weeks ago about how for the crossover episode, I was going in wincing and going, ooh, this could really suck. I hope they don't screw it up. But I was on my guard for that. Mm. For this, I was going in open-hearted and give it to me because... The track record is there. Henry Alonzo Myers, who's one of the showrunners for Strange New Worlds, was a showrunner for The Magicians, a show that I watched in its entirety and had several musical episodes, and they were all excellent. The cast did great work with that strange way of presenting a story. The songs, importantly, were bangers. They were so much fun and stuck in your head. And ultimately it must've worked because they did it more than once. For those who aren't familiar with the show, it was a story about teen angst in magic land. It was kind of Harry Potter if Harry Potter was in university and making all his mistakes while learning magic at the same time. So that the angst, the teen angst would be cranked up to 11 and then released in a musical episode where everyone sang their hearts to each other. So having seen those successes from at least the showrunner I thought he knows how to do a musical genre show and I can't wait to see that through a Star Trek lens but I'll say maybe my expectations were a little too high because I I found this episode somewhat disappointing how about you Rob
1: yeah look I I got on the bandwagon with once more with feeling back in the early 90s uh-huh. It was my first ever musical episode. It's like uh, one of the only few I'm aware of. It is right smack bang in the early section of season six, which is notoriously the worst season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but the musical episode is always heralded as the last great episode of Buffy. Like you said about the magicians, all the songs in Once More With Feeling are bangers. It's a difficult one because only two of the cast in Buffy are singers. Tara, the actress who played Tara, is a wonderful singer. And Anthony Stewart Head was a professional singer. And all the songs are great. All different styles of tunes and stuff like that. that. And plus it was my first one. So my nostalgia of it is really strong. I went back and listened to a couple of the songs recently, coming up to the musical episode of that. And it still holds up really good. I love the change of tone. So my expectations of a musical episode are pretty high. The last one I saw was for The Flash, which was actually directed by the guy who directed this episode, Dermot Downs. And The Flash one kind of disappointed me and it became a bit, oh, it's a bit generic. The songs, and they had some great singers. Grant Gustin is an amazing singer. He did Glee, as did Supergirl, uh, Melissa Mawashi was in Glee as well. Wonderful singers, but the songs didn't really stand out. And I got this sense of, oh, all musical episodes just blend into one another. Now they've lost that um, uniqueness and novelty and now it's just become a gimmick. So I was a little bit trepidatious with this one. I was really excited for the crossover episode, but this one I was, the songs have to be good. The songs have to be really good for this to be something special. And yeah, I was, I love it because it's strange new worlds and I love the cast and I love all of it, but it. Some of it soared, but most of it, their choices, the choices they made of how they do the songs yeah. was disappointing. Having so yeah. many songs where they reference the fact that they are singing really got yeah. old. Yeah, It was very self-conscious. Very self-conscious. And also the fact that they incorporate just regular techno babble dialogue into the songs ate away at me as well. I don't want to hear them yeah. getting. Yeah. I couldn't
0: tell if I liked it or disliked it. I think when it worked, like there were moments where they were using Star Trek turns of phrase or language where I was like, oh yeah, what else did I expect? Star Trek has such a distinctive language. Yes. We're going to get to see that brought into song. But there were times where it was—it felt like a gimmick and it was there not to keep the songs connected to Star Trek. It was there to make the songs Star y. If I can draw that subtle distinction... It it bordered on parody. And my partner turned to me at one point and said in the middle of a song, she turned to me and said, this feels like a parody. And I was cringing internally in the same way at that moment. And you don't want that feeling in the middle of a musical episode.
1: Yeah, there were moments when they started breaking into a song and instead of me going, oh, good, now is the time a part of me went, oh, no. So there, I was quite relieved that the highlight scene for me in the episode was La'an finally- Oh, yes. Talking to Kirk, and that was done- With not
0: a song in sight.
1: Not a song in sight. That was, that. they're going, that's not a good sign when the highlight yeah. is- Your uh, best scene is not a song, yeah. I mean, there are some, Really solid singers in that group. I mean, Celia Ahura is an incredible singer. Christian Chong, of course, has released albums and she's a wonderful singer. Ethan Peck is the dark horse. He has a a wonderful, soothing voice. And Anson Mount's got quite a nice voice as well. Pretty much the only song with
0: a male lead singer in this episode was Spock's song. Yeah, I'm the X. While it was great, it was also a reprise of Chapel's song. Yeah,
1: it's very odd hearing uh, Spock saying I'm the ex. The ex for me <laughs> is a very is is it's a very juvenile teenager type thing. And um, yeah. to hear Spock say that I'm going Um yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, Jess Bush I love that song, that was a really good song and a really good self-empowerment number. She's not the strongest of singers, but I like how well she did.
0: Yeah, the melody has definitely stuck with me. I personally think the strongest song in the episode is La song, which Mm -hmm. she sings by herself. It is gorgeous. That, I said, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, The (laughs) Gilbert and Sullivan number in the hallway with Una, I did not need that. The (laughs) Status Report song, I thought was quite awkward. But Laon's song was the one where this episode took flight. And I thought, okay, if this is the trend and we're now on a path to orbit here, okay, I'm on board. This is going to be great. But I felt like it peaked at that point and never quite reached that level again.
1: Yeah. And plus it has the um, bonus points of having the word paradigm in its main (laughs) main chorus. So getting the word paradigm in a chorus is a big plus for me.
0: Well, that that was another example of Star Trek language kind of (laughs) used in song. But I thought that one kind of worked.
1: Yeah, yeah, for me, using the whole, yeah, and saying the phrase that everyone talks about when the musical when your emotions build up so much, you can't say it, you have to sing it. Yeah. To hear Rebecca and May say that was quite cute. But yeah, dealing with relationship type stuff that we thought we've evolved from, and there seemed to be yeah. with Pike and Battelle a bit of a step back.
0: And Chapel and Spock, seeing them torn apart in song <gasps> was not very satisfying, I felt. When that message from Roger Corby came hey. in at the start of the episode, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I could use another season of them dating before we go here, please. But uh, no. And her choice not to even say anything to him until forced to by the song virus. It just it felt kind of out of character.
1: I'm kind of relieved that it has become the case of Chapel and Spock, We Hardly Knew ye. Because if it was a little bit longer, it would stretch the boundaries of, for me, to have it end so quickly and so abruptly. Yeah. For me, that kind of works.
0: Yeah, this is why they never talk about it again.
1: Yeah. And how it still feels unrequited for her. Very much so. And that has to linger when we go into, you know, original series. So there's a lot of Easter eggs in there as well. So we talked about Corby being referenced. And we mentioned earlier, the big scene is where finally La'an talks to Kirk. And I think Kirk handled that scene incredibly, was written well and performed well. And we have a drop of... Freaking Carol Marcus.
0: Marcus gets the drop.
1: Yeah. And I'm just going, bring in Carol. I want to see Carol. Come on. Yeah. There's been a lot of controversy about, uh, and people just not watching Wrath of Khan to fully understand it. Uh People going, Kirk didn't know about David and mm. going, did you actually watch the film? The first thing he says <laughs> is when he goes, is that David? Because of one line going, why yeah. didn't you tell me? Because goes, no, he was talking about, why didn't you tell me that David was on the station? Yeah, yeah. so that is brought up, girlfriend, pregnant, that this is the point where it happens.
0: Yeah, okay, well, so yeah, that is the thing that, that you were referencing, that people are a little uh, perturbed by the canon impact of Carol Marcus and the Marcuses being introduced at this point. The thing I was thinking you might be referencing is just like Jim Kirk paying another visit to not just the Enterprise, but standing on the bridge and saying, I learned everything I know from you people.
1: That is that is stretching it a bit. And sitting in a briefing with Pike. Are they going, are they yeah. going to lose their memory after this? Is it is this going to be, nope, yeah. okay, all right. They've met more than once, <laughs> it's and Kirk just it's forgets fun. the musical.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> I believe the line is Kirk is asked whether he ever met Pike, and this is in the Menagerie. Yes. And Kirk says, we met once when he was promoted to fleet captain. And so they did that deft thing the other episode when the Farragut happened to be around at the deuterium refinery and Pike was made fleet captain. Yes. And so we were like, okay, that's the time they met when he was promoted to fleet captain. Uh, The fact that it was a temporary promotion is the nice little magic trick they did there. Surely they can never meet again, but no. Not
1: only do they meet again, they share a bridge, they share a chorus line of awkwardly linking arms and trying to do some sort of choreography in a very slippery, confined set.
0: I guess my feeling about it, Rob, is I am definitely up for the story of early Kirk and his relationship with carol marcus all of that i'm interested in seeing it but i don't want it to be at the expense of seeing the stories of strange new worlds and the characters of that show
1: that's the rub. especially
0: when we only have 10 episodes to play with each season the more jim kirk we get the less of this show we get and this show deserves every minute
1: of screen time it can get Exactly. Yep, that's the rub. I could not agree with you more. It's We were sold on the fact this is Strange New Worlds. This is Pike's crew leading up to that. So we don't want to shortchange that. And especially like I mentioned before, this is a crew that has a running clock. We know that they're not all going to stay. We don't know where they're going to go. And we don't know what's going to happen. We only know certain things. We know where Spock is. We know where pike is we know where anything happens
0: to la on at this point i am Ooh. gonna riot
1: she is my favorite character on strange
0: new worlds at this point
1: incredible actress incredible character i love how that developed her out of the shadows of her heritage and her lineage
0: going back to her scene with kirk the thing that i loved about it not just how kirk handled it but i loved how she handled it that it was not a confession of love it was I met an alternate version of you and felt seen, and I like that distinction. That it t- takes it from schoolgirl romance to, look, when I'm around you, I feel like a different person for this reason.
1: Yeah, and beautiful stuff like they're going be careful what you say because of timeline stuff, and him saying I know that I feel a connection with you, but I don't know where it comes from. That type of really yeah. pleasant stuff. So, yeah, for me, that was a highlight. Just for the record, I
0: don't need to hear Jim Kirk say, I don't like rules, but dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I don't need to hear them hang a lantern on that anymore.
1: We all know Kirk is a rule (laughs) breaker. You can stop saying it. (laughs) Um, And another bone of contention, we got the Klingon singing and it was K-pop style as opposed to uh, opera. Your thoughts, Kevin Yang? It was fine. (laughs) By that point... By that point, I had
0: so given up on the story of this. Like, for this to be a successful episode for me, it both needed to be a great Star Trek story and a great musical. Yeah. And that those two things would be more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. But to me, it was by far the weakest story we've gotten Mm -hmm. in two seasons of Strange New Worlds. And it was not a particularly great musical either. No. And as a result, it was less than the sum of its parts for me. So by the time the Klingons were K-popping, I just went, cool, they didn't do the obvious thing. That's fine. But I'm ready for this episode to be over.
1: Yeah. I'm Like I said, I'm trepidatious of musical-type episodes, and I didn't want it to be disposable, forgettable, fluff. And it was. Yeah. It was fun and cute, and I'm not going to rail against it and be angry, but I'm just there going, yeah, it's not going to be... It's a forgettable one.
0: Much worse than Klingon singing K-pop, which actually, like, if everything else about this episode was firing at 9 out of 10 or better, that could have been this ridiculous thing that pushed it over the top into instant classic to me. I would go there with a good episode. That was not this episode's biggest sin. For me, the biggest one is setting up the plot need of someone to sing a song to rally the crew to bring them together under a leader and then pike saying Uhuru, you can sing this one yeah that that wasn't pike's song makes no sense to me i've heard rumors completely unsubstantiated through fan circles that anson mount simply did not want to sing and uh they had to write around that and if that's the case maybe don't do a musical episode if you can't get your captain to sing maybe don't do a musical episode
1: yeah and if you want to do a, an episode that highlights the musical talent of your cast do like what was done in deep space nine when you've got the fabulous work of benjamin Sisko singing with a hologram yeah some funky jazz musical numbers from the 50s you can have you can make it a part of the show you don't need to structure yeah. a whole episode of it and compromise your or
0: Captains. Going back to the Battle of AR-558 last week, we had Rom at the start of that episode singing, That's Why the Lady is a scam.
1: <laughs> the instant classic, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's got to be karaoke in the, yeah. uh, in the 23rd century. Come on.
0: But the thing that we wanted to cover based on this week's attempt at a classic musical <laughs> uh, was other times that Star Trek has jumped with both feet into the land of camp and gone, you know what? We get accused of being campy now and then. Let's show you what it's like when we get campy. <laughs> Why don't you go first and tell okay Because we m- are mine's go-
1: fairly late timeline. Mine's Voyager. Is yours Voyager late? Oh mine is also Voyager. <laughs> mine is Voyager Season 5, Episode 12, Bride of Chaotica. We've done it again, Rob Jinx! We've
0: done it again. <laughs> Ah yes, Bride of Chaotica. Watched it today. Knew what I was in for, and it did not disappoint.
1: Yeah, I was. I from my memories of it, I thought it was a lot more fun. And it was about forty percent fun, sixty percent justification. And um, they're going, "Oh, cut out the justification. All right, do it. Our Man Bashir type thing, and just go full Flash Gordon style."
0: I think if they ever try this again in Strange New Worlds or elsewhere, that's also what I want is don't have the characters aware that singing is strange and spend half the episode trying to figure out how to stop singing because they hate it so much. Let's just imagine Star Trek was always a musical and tell us a story (laughs) that way.
1: So tell us about Bride of Chaotica.
0: Yeah, so this is mid-Voyager. We do have Seven of Nine on board, but she is still pretty grumpy. Uh, she,
1: and uh and surprisingly in the background for this one
0: yes indeed and we have a long established paris kim mandate where they go into the holodeck and play out these old b-movie plots under the name captain proton tom paris plays captain proton and harry kim plays captain proton sidekick who has a name i can't remember what it is right <laughs> now i don't think we're meant to remember what it is now and the scenes in the holodeck are all in black and white. This was a fun conceit that Voyager invented, that if you go and play a black and white holodeck story, you are turned black and white yourself. And that's That's a very cool, fun. yeah. I think we had seen snippets of Captain Proton in other stories up until this point, but this was the one where they were like, we're going to make this the setting for the entire episode. And so Tom and Harry are on their mandate in the holodeck, playing through their story. Harry is the one playing it for the first time. Tom's played this scenario 10 times, and he knows exactly how it goes.
1: As always, Tom Paris is the expert of ancient Earth culture. So he knows how (laughs) to put a car together. He knows how to put a a plane together. He knows how how old 1950s serialized space adventure sci-fi works, apparently. Yeah,
0: and suddenly they see a purple portal in this Otherwise black and white environment, a kind of creepy purple portal appears in the sky. And that's the cold open. The big picture story here is that trans-dimensional life forms. We're getting a lot of trans-dimensional life forms in Star Trek all of a sudden, it seems like. Have come into our dimension and unluckily the place where they appear is within the holodeck of voyager and the life forms that come through are photonic life forms who believe it is normal to be a life form made of light and so everything in the holodeck seems realistic to them and the organic life forms who insist they are real seem completely fake and unbelievable to them so this whole scenario of dr chaotica destroying the captain protons planet. Like that is, they take that at face value and go after Dr. Chaotica who wages war on them with his death ray and they start dying off. The fictional characters on Voyager's holodeck are waging war with these real photonic life forms and Voyager's crew is stuck in the middle and needs to untangle the situation. Dr hologram to the rescue, or <laughs> as he portrays himself, the president of Earth, <laughs> steps in and it explains a version of this that the photonic life forms can believe. And then the big culmination of this is Janeway stepping into the role of Queen Arachnia, the spider queen. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there is that moment when uh, Tom Paris is laying this all out, where everyone looks to seven because it seems obvious that she is going to be the seductive spider queen in the holodeck scenario but for reasons that are completely unexplained Paris goes no you got to do this Janeway and she's up for it
1: at first she isn't she has the
0: double take at first going oh no 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 and if you get into trouble ma'am you can always release the pheromones I beg your pardon (laughs) it's it's very funny that scene or 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 couple of scenes where she is in the holodeck in her full like spider queen outfit it's something that is often referenced at conventions kate mulgrew talks about how much fun she had in that episode and i think i agree with you that this episode has taken on a larger than life presence in fandom because of that reason and then when we go back and watch the actual episode it's less than we've made it out to be in our memory but it is still fun to see her play along with dr chaotica
1: so much so i want to see more of it the joy of our man bashir is seeing all our regular cast taken over by these personalities uh with russian spies or drug dealers or all this type of man of mystery and they embrace it for most of the story Whereas with this, like I said, it's 60%. How are we going to solve this problem? And sure, it's great to get a scene of Janeway walking in, having Neelix talk in her ear. And she goes, I can't talk until I get my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the acting of Kate Mulgrew, as she takes that sip and you see her l- literally change in front of you to go, all right, now yeah. I'm ready to put up with Neelix. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. But I want a full hour of black and white, ridiculousness, full body costume robots, and K. Mulgrew just chewing up every scene. Satan's robot is what they call it
0: <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> and it's funny because they never quite say, I hate you, robot. But all of the acting that's going on in the scenes when the robot is there says, I loathe this thing. <laughs> like, th- they repair the robot, and then immediately the robot gets itself in trouble and gets itself damaged and goes need repair need repair and tuvok and paris who are in that scene just very deliberately roll their eyes and turn away from it (laughs) like you can repair yourself you stupid robot Uh, it is very funny the funniest thing in this episode for me i agree with you was not in the holodeck it is when tom paris is explaining what's going on in the holodeck they're in the briefing room and Jane was like, So let me get this straight. The Photonic Life forms this and Dr. Chaotica that, and now he's waging war on them with his army. And Paris goes, Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am his army of evil yes man (laughs) it is just it is the perfect kind of self-conscious that they like they just dip their toe into that there's another moment in the hallway way where Paris goes and remember you're the queen and it, it is like they take that one line to go yes we are winking at the audience here but then we step back into taking this seriously which I felt like was missing from Strange New Worlds is they were way spending way more time over that line,
1: uh, yeah, into unbelievability. It's very much watching this episode has made me realize, of course, of all the cast of Voyager, of course, it would be Tom Paris and Harry Kim who create their own podcast to review every episode because the actors and the characters are perfectly that. Like the moment where he goes full nerd and goes, now remember, it's not phaser, it's called laser gun. And "Ah, it's not (laughs) called transporter, it's energizer. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's why we need a moment where Boydland meets Paris because I think they would just geek out together.
0: Well, so we chose the exact same example of Camp Star Trek. And I don't think there's anything that comes close to The Bride of Chaotic.
1: Not really. I mean, because I think Bride Chaotica, like you said, they return to this hollow suite a bit in season five. I think the first episode of season five is where they first introduce that Paris goes into it. Because I think each season they have almost something new, like season one, when they go to the hollow suite, it's like that Parisian cafe type space yeah. that they go to and then they kind of go off on their own where janeway is manipulating her program to get the perfect man lose the wife yeah (laughs) um but yeah season five is the the captain proton season
0: the only other one that came to my mind was like from the original series season three episode 20 the way to eden which is the one with the singing space hippies on board and I barely remember the plot of this episode, but it ends with the space hippies finding the planet that they think is Eden, but it turns out the fruit is corrosive and poisonous, and the leader doesn't believe it. He climbs a tree and eats one of these fruits and dies on the ground. It's full of scenes of these hippies on the ship singing songs in the rec room, and it is unfortunately quite cringy. It's acknowledged to be one of the bad episodes of season three of the original series. Yeah. So... I would not class it among the other these other examples of like deliberately camp Star Trek. I would say this is one of those episodes where Star Trek
1: gets its bad reputation of being camp
0: inadvertently. At
1: times. Yeah. A lot of people have called out uh, Trouble with Tribbles as a little bit of a yeah. campy one just because of the inherent silliness. The of lighthearted. The yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and we've mentioned it many times before, like baseball episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite is quite campy in some ways on DSpace Space Nine. So they are there, but definitely Bride of Chaotica is the one that's leaned into. And like you said, it's quite surprising. My memories of it, it was more campy than it actually was.
0: Certainly Dr. Chaotica and his chewing of the scenery. That is camp at 11. And uh, he pulls it off. Like the actor is playing 100% commitment and truth. And the henchman as well is great
1: as well. The henchman. Yeah. The henchman with the helmet that's got room for two heads in it. Is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. So yeah, that's us going down the all singing, all dancing, all camp approach to Star Trek this week. I'm, I know there's a lot of people who loved it. And um, great that Kevin and I are seeing each other on the same page when it comes to this episode. Yeah. yeah sadly, not at As memorable and a lot more disposable than we would have hoped but only one more episode to go i know and it is unlike every other episode this
0: season they like they have the cloak of secrecy around this one there has been very little pre-announcing of stuff that will happen here i don't want to say it out loud but i feel it's pretty clear to me that pike's lady friend is going to get eaten by a gorn like well yes those are the two dangling plot threads that i've got way back in the broken circle they had the gorn ship crossing some line on a map and that has been left dangling so that's clearly to come back and her final scene with pike this episode i was sitting there going oh no she's gonna die it was very much a aren't we happy that we finally understand each other and now we can start our lives together i've just got one important mission to go on
1: first bye yeah uh,
0: yeah she's not coming back i don't think
1: she is not coming back and she's great she's a really good character really good actor but things must be sacrificed in the story yeah like
0: forgot to mention regarding our hip-hopping Klingons yeah the captain of the Klingon ship was played by Bruce Horak uh Hammer I didn't know that yeah brought him back
1: again at this time as a Klingon he could be the uh the new Wayun. <laughs> the new Jeffrey Coombs yes yeah 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 Coombs is there going don't take my record man now before we finish up I've gotta yes I've gotta bring something to light last night I did something because I've been watching a lot of videos about the history of Star Trek and stuff like that. So I went back and I did something that I said I would never watch again, Kevin. Last night, I watched Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock.
0: Why? What, what What? possessed you? Um, I, I'm not complaining, but of all the times I have implored you to go back and watch that amazing movie and, <laughs> and you haven't done so, I'm wondering what made you do it this time?
1: I've been watching these uh, series of retrospectives on Star Trek. I'm watching them out of order. So I watched like the Deep Space Nine one first and I'm going back through the movie. So I did them out of order. So I did like Star Trek 2 first, then I did Star Trek 5, then I did Star Trek 6 and it did Star Trek three and just hearing about the process of making the film, shooting the film, getting the finances for it, where it was within the banner of things and how they referred to the Genesis trilogy is a really solid trilogy within the Star Trek films. And that consistency we haven't really had within the Star Trek movies. That is like the gold standard, Star Trek two, II, three and four. Yeah. And all those little gags that we've mentioned about how uhura with the young cadet wanting to be the adventure boy and don't call me tiny and and to see christopher lloyd again because i haven't watched it in so long and it was great to rewatch it's for a first-time director of a motion picture nimoy it the pace just goes at an incredible rate taking those moments to absorb the heavy hitting moments shatner is in wonderful form does really well it's heartbreaking And the reaction shots of jimmy doing and the other cast looking at kirk when he's lost david and it's such a yeah like it's not shown it's a messy dirty unheroic but very heroic death and it's just what i remember Mm. and just his moment Mm. of just he can't even take his boy's body with him and he has to leave it there and just cover it with his jacket and the final scene just had me in tears the final scene when in like I'd say, I've seen it eight a couple of times, but to watch it now and to see just Spock with his mind back and him still trying and he just turns around, takes off his hood and his scene with Kirk is just amazing. The ship out of danger. <laughs> oh, God. When they replay the lines, because
0: the Katra that was put in McCoy is before Spock goes into the radiation chamber. The yes. fact that he would have the same questions with the same words when he is brought back to life. I love that writing. It is, it is underwritten in such that subtle way that lets the performances tell the story. I agree, that is a powerful ending.
1: And I knew, it was, I knew it was coming, but I, it was interesting to find out that they pretty much wrote backwards because they knew that Spock's final line would be, or what the powerful line would be, Jim, your name is Jim and just watching nimoy's face and just this is why i he is incredible he just has so much going on he is not a robot you can see him trying to fall and just the cavalcade of emotions he has across his face from that is just outstanding i was just bawling when you're just there going everything that kirk has lost that we've talked about and to see it again his ship gone the ship that yeah, that Spock saved and the people that he saved and the loss of his son to do all that just to get his, this more than a friend back. And just, and Bones talk with him as well. Yeah, God, it's, yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's great stuff. And just the time they take at the end for the whole process of the Kartra being swapped over. So yeah. I know it's off topic, but it was very much, uh, you were on my mind as I was watching it late last night when I couldn't get to sleep. I chucked it on. Oh, very and- good. Yeah, balled myself into a state of catharsis.